a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We now like to go to, uh, as, as promised, Morgan, we're going to talk about some voting. Mm-hmm. One of the people in the state of Utah that we've known for a very long time that's been involved in sort of the uh, some, some new and novel ways at handling voting, particularly when you have lots of candidates inside the state of Utah. It looks a preview for what we've been doing, what we might be doing. It's Stan Lockhart. Stan, thank you so much for being with us today. No, happy to be here, Jason. It's good to hear your voice. Well, it's been too long, of course, but you have stayed very involved for sure. Uh, you, you are president of the Lockhart Group. It's a lobbying firm. Particularly, I know you're an expert on technology issues, been in politics for a very long time. We're particularly interested in some things that you have been doing on, on voting in the state. And the one I would like to ask you about, first of all, because you've been so close to it, is how is ranked choice voting working in the state of Utah? How did, in our last election cycle, how did you feel it went? Are we going to see more of it? So this past year, we had more cities use ranked choice voting than uh, in any part of the country except Maine. So we had 23 cities opt in to ranked choice voting. We had over 100,000 people actually vote under this new method of voting called ranked choice. And the results were really quite positive. And in some cases, um, I mean, uh, even higher than our expectations. Uh, I have some I have some information for you. In fact, we've we've we had uh, Y2 Analytics do some polling for us, and I thought that you might be interested yeah, in please. seeing what what they came up with. So, yeah, please fire away. Okay, so uh, out of um, they did a poll that had a 2.6 margin of error, and for those of you who know polling, that is a very solid poll, a very accurate poll. They found that 81% of the voters found ranked choice voting easy to use, that 90% of ranked choice voters found the instructions to be clear. 62% of those voters liked using the process. So um, a couple other little things that voters in ranked choice elections were equally as satisfied with the process as voters in non-ranked choice voting elections. We had 85% of all Utah voters say that it's important for a candidate to win at least a majority of the votes. And, of course, under plurality voting, that doesn't always happen. So ranked choice voting is a way to make that work. Voters who experienced ranked choice voting for themselves want to use it again and, uh, by and large, even want to see it expanded. Um, Through this poll, along with several polls we've done the last couple of years, We've discovered that until voters use it, they're kind of skeptical. And then once they use it, they really like it. 
Well, it's it's so interesting because I, I was kind of curious based on those those responses right there too. And what the one that I that I particularly identified with was people want to have one of these clear winners. And it's so interesting. You talk about this plurality issue, and we've seen it in the state of Utah. We saw it in our governor's race at one point, for sure, where you have a bunch of candidates, and you may have a winner, at least for that particular side, that gets 36 37% of the vote. Yeah, so we had a, we had a, a primary in 2020 where a winner got less than a third of the vote. <laughs> and so uh-huh. at what point in time do you say, wait a second, there might be a better way? Um, and maybe there's a way where we can have a winner actually get over 50 percent of the vote. And uh, so ranked choice voting solves that plurality issue. Have you have you heard from people? Really, this is my one follow up on this, Dan. Uh, when people say, are, are people generally saying, OK, well, it wasn't my number one choice, but my number two choice was the one that finally got the nod. I mean, have, have you had time to talk with those folks to say, yeah, I feel like, you know, I had a couple top options and if even if it was number two i feel much better about that than what would have been my number four yeah that's a good point um here's what happens in plurality elections where you only vote for one person you have people who are really really happy and really really unhappy and in ranked choice voting you have a spectrum of happiness with maybe not quite as many people totally jazzed about it but a whole lot more people who are somewhat happy with the people they're electing. It's so interesting. I think some of our older our older listeners will remember that in the 80s and 90s, there was lots of debates about runoffs, and people were really upset about these plurality wins. And it's interesting to see that the conversations come back, but in the form of ranked choice voting. Yeah, which, uh, which are a series of instant runoffs, right, Morgan? Right, right. But what I what I am so curious to hear you talk about is I know you've also done work on uh, reforming and have thought about the Electoral College. And I'm so interested to hear some of your thoughts on the current debate on presidential elections and the Electoral College. Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of the Electoral College. If you go to Article 2, Section 3 of the Constitution, it says very directly and very expressly that state legislatures – get to decide how to use those uh, electoral votes that are created under the Constitution and that they can do so any way they want to benefit their state. Um, I would argue that this winner-take-all formula that we have doesn't always work the best. So if somebody gets 50.001% of the vote in Utah as a presidential candidate, then in the general election – then all six of Utah's electoral votes goes to that candidate. And I'm far more of a proportional where if somebody gets, you know, a third of the vote, give them a third of those electoral uh, votes. Um, I also think there's some merit in looking at national popular vote, not to get rid of the electoral college, but to figure out if Utah issues could be a part of the debate at the national stage. For instance, public lands never get talked about, and yet we have a huge percentage, like 68% of our land in Utah are public lands, and we can't get the federal government to listen to us most of the time on those issues. And so I keep trying to figure out how can we get our Utah issues heard more at the national level, and uh, and this ability of the state to combine with other states in going to more in using those electoral college votes to 
let the person with the most votes nationally get um, the nomination, win the presidency, um, has some merit. Well, we're going to be watching that one closely. Our our time is up here, Stan, but uh, in all of your efforts, I know, and the ones we're talking about at the Hinckley Institute as well, is they're designed to get people engaged and voting. And we're very grateful that you're taking some time today with us to talk about what's happening, what you see going forward. There are a lot of options, and hopefully the end of all of them is that people do engage and continue to vote. So thank you, Stan, for your efforts. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on today, you guys. And, uh, Let's do all we can to get voters educated and to get them to the polls. Absolutely right. Thank you, Stan. Well, please stay with us when we come up. We're going to be talking to Utah House Speaker Brad Wilson. Gray Salt Lake, we'll be talking about that, but also he'll talk about the recent Supreme Court decision. Please stay with us. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.